0: That's the Lord. Open up your Bibles to 1 John, chapter 3, working our way through the entire book of John. Last week we learned in chapters 1 and 2 that we are to walk as Jesus walked. Everybody say it in the count of 3, 1, 2, 3. Walk as, say it again, walk as, say it again, walk, look at your neighbor, say it, walk as, come on, walk as, And then we could like, talk as Jesus talked, walk as Jesus walked, smile as Jesus smiled, jump as... Anybody liking that? Come on. Just having fun. It's all right to have fun in church. So we learned in chapters 1 and 2, we are to walk as Jesus walked. That's what we do. Now we're going to go through the rest of the book of John. Hopefully we can get to the end today. That's three chapters. If not, we'll go through at least two And today's message is entitled, Children of God. Everybody say that. One, two, three. Amen. What are you? You are children of God, a child of God. Amen. Now, I'm a little bit hesitant to ask this because I know sometimes people don't do their homework. But I asked you this week to read through the book of 1 John. How many of you took time to do that? Raise your hand. Yes. Anybody? Awesome. 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 Like half a hand raised on this side over here from David, or half a hand. So like, you, like you read half of it. Oh, okay. Okay, so you didn't know we were talking about First John. Okay, so that's okay. We still love you. We learned that John, who wrote the Gospel of John, is the same individual who wrote First, Second, and Third John and the Book of Revelations. We learned that John was one of the favorite disciples of Jesus in the inner core of Jesus' three. It was James, John, and Peter, or Peter, James, and John is a way to remember a little easier. We learned that he talked more about love than any other of the... uh, the Gospels. He talked more about Jesus' divinity than any other of the writers of the Gospel. And yet, at the same time, when he writes his teaching letter, you have to understand the Gospel is a narrative story of Jesus, and the Epistle is a teaching letter. So when he writes this teaching letter, he not only talks more about love than Paul did and all of these other writers, but he talks more about people being liars and children of Satan. Come on, somebody, say amen. Don't get shy. It's tight, but it's Amen. If you read the words, you might be called a liar, a child of Satan, but hopefully you'll get converted to the truth. Amen. So what we learn about John is that he's the beloved. He's the pastor of love. He's radical. He's close to Jesus. And so he understands in such a great way the divinity and the character of Christ that when he writes about God, it's black and white. I mean, he just don't see it any other way. The way he looks at it is, hey, if you're going to represent the man I love, you better live really for him. If you're going to say you know him, you ought to walk as he walked, keep his commands. And so that's the important part of this book. Now the chapters that we're getting into today is where John says some of the most like sweetest, gentlest, like awesomest parts of the whole Bible. These are the type of scriptures, that some of them you're going to read right now, that's just going to make you go, aww. Oh. God said that about me, little old me, yes. But then right after that, then it's going to get down with the get down. I mean, it's going to get down and dirty and nasty. It's going to get raw. You know what I'm saying? You just, you you know, it might scare you a little bit. So you just got to buckle up. You all ready? Amen. Let's go in chapter 3, verse 1. Here's the good part. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him dear friends now we are the children of God and what will be has not yet been made known but we shall be or but what but we know that when he appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everybody just go, oh. See, God loves you. God has lavished his love on you. I have never understood lavish until I had my daughter. Now, I mean, the word lavish is like still a small word. I mean, I cannot stop loving her. I mean, it's mm you know what I'm saying? Like I walk around with her and I'm just kissing her. I'm kissing her hand. I mean, I thought like I knew how to love my wife. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we got married. It was hallelujah, you know, and it was great. Amen. A lot of single people looking at me weird, but married people know what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. I mean, I loved my wife. I mean, but then the love that a father has for a child, I mean, it's deeper, it's stronger, it's pure. I mean, it's just the most strongest love. Any parent know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, just wait till they get a little bit older. That's okay. I'm going to love them then. Amen. And we'll pray for those of you who might be having a little trouble with that. But God looks at us as a father. First of all, we've got so used to that term that we don't even maybe know what it means, God the Father. But I want you to listen to this be defined again. God is the father and you are the child. That means he cares about you. This is not a religion. This is not big old Allah is in heaven and if you don't pray five times a day, he's going to strike you down and have somebody strap a bomb on their chest and blow themselves up in your house or something. This is not the God we serve. So often people want to take the scriptures of the hell of Christianity and throw it back in our face, but they never want to talk about this. You see, this is the foundation for every other teaching. He is love. He gives love. The reason why there's punishment is because sinners don't love him back and they're God haters. So it's not That there is a hell because God is a hateful, angry person. There is a hell because people are hateful and angry and rebellious. So get the story straight. Amen? God is love. And, And literally, in the next few verses as we get to it today, you will hear it say, God is love. I mean, there's just no way around understanding that that's the principle. He's our Father. And so think about how a father feels about his children. If my child, you know, did the craziest thing, you know, uh, left out the iron, burned down the house, how many know I would still love that child? I would love that child with a belt in my hand. (laughs) Hallelujah. But I would still love the child. Amen? Because I love him. I'm not going to spare the rod. I'm going to give him the rod whenever he needs it or she needs it. But think of it that way. No matter how crazy mankind is, he still loves us. John 3.16, For God, our Father, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the story. That's what it's about. I want you to park there and just hear that today. God loves you. God loves you immensely. He lavishes His love on you. He loved you when you were a sinner. He's always had hopes that you would be his child. Always. He's always acted like a father towards you. Even in your most wickedest time of your life, he never acted as your enemy, even though you were his. He always acted as a father. One of the most perfect examples to see how lost mankind is viewed in God's mind is looking at the story of the prodigal son in the book of Luke. The Bible says that the prodigal son was in his father's house. Mankind was born to live with God, made and created to live with God. But then mankind rebelled, and we've all done what the prodigal son has done. We've all taken life into our own hands. Amen? Tried to do it our way, like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. We've all tried to do that one way or another, right? But the Bible says that when the son came to his mind, the prodigal son, and says, why am I living with the pigs and the hogs and this messed up life? I ought to go back home and get forgiveness. The Bible says when he does, he comes back home and what does he see? The father at the door waiting for him to come. That's the story of humanity. Jesus says he looks at us like that. Then he tells the next story, and he says, imagine if a woman only had so many gold coins, and she lost just one of them. Imagine if you had five $100 bills, and that's all you had to your name, and you lost just one $100 bill. The Bible says this woman would look everywhere for it, and then when she finds it, she gets happy. He says, that's what my father's like when he finds just one of you. Then he tells the story of the ninety-nine sheep or the hundred sheep. If one goes away, even though the father has ninety-nine or the shepherd has ninety-nine, he still goes after that one so he can have the hundred. That is how he lavishes us. Hell and punishment and destruction and fire and brimstone and gnashing of teeth and weeping and wailing is for those who don't accept that love. Plain and simple. There is no excuse for those who, who know right from wrong to go to hell. There's no excuse for you today to be judged as a sinner. There's no excuse. Now, the point that John is making by saying that God is the Father is that then we are the children. So his point is not just God's a father and we're just creation because he could still be the father of all creation. We could just be looked at as his dirt, as his clay. No, now he says this is how great he is, but then this is how much he honors us. He now calls us his children. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody fall in love with their pet so much they treat it like it's one of their children. Anybody ever seen anybody like that? Maybe on TV. Like I've seen these stories. You know, they buy them little bootsies and little hats, and they have little little homes, little beds for them. You know what I'm talking about? You know how that looks kind of crazy. I bet you, to the angels, when God wanted to love man that way, it looked kind of crazy, because not even the angels are called the children of God. The angels are not even given that privilege. And here God makes dirt. He, he takes clay and he makes man and he says, that's my child. Look how profound that is. You see, that's how much he loves us. That we're, we're just, we're here with dirt, you know. When, when the spirit passes out of the body, we, we put it in the grave and a hundred years later it's just dust. <laughs> Blow it all away. The bones go away. The brain goes away. And he looks at this creation, body, soul, and spirit. What he made, and he says, "I love you." When you're on this earth, you're my child. You're not just a pile of dirt. You're not just a a, a pile of, of wasted garbage or whatever you know. Whatever we could look at ourselves as, you know, we're we're special. You know, I know if I put a pile of dirt in front of you, and you, or or you know, if somebody made a little person of dirt, and then they said that dirt is my child, we'd think they were crazy. We would say, dirt's garbage, you know, you don't bring that in the house. You know, don't, like if you were out playing with sand at a beach, if your child tried to bring in their sandcastle, you'd be like, that's crazy. But that's how much God is love, is that God can make a creation like man out of the dirt of the earth, out of things we, we would walk on, spit on, not even think anything of. He can take it and make man the epic, um, the epitaph of his creation, the greatest part of his creation, and says, this is my child. This is who I love. This is what I'm about. And then, I mean, the story doesn't even end there. We're talking father and child now. But then man sins. This pile of dirt spits in God's face, begins to break his heart, commit murder. Look at the times of Noah, why God had to send a flood. They were having incest, they were raping, they were violent. And yet he doesn't destroy the race, the human race. He could have destroyed it and said, I'm going to make the Klingon race now, you know. But he says, no, I'll spare them, and then I'll send my own son to die for them. That's how much the Father loves us. Think about that. I mean, this this example can get so outlandish that you can't even understand it anymore. I mean, imagine the pile of dirt and your child saying, I want to die for that pile of dirt. I mean, it's one thing for them to take that pile of dirt and put it in their house, your house. I mean, that's just crazy right there. But then for them to say, I want to die, like be tortured, be whipped and beaten for that right there. You, would, you just couldn't even get it. And that's why the Bible says no one can even understand the height of God's love. Book of Ephesians. You, if you really try to start comprehending this, you, you will never reach the height of how high it goes, how much He loves us. Bible says you'll never understand the depth of how far He went down for you and I. We'll never understand how the great God of heaven sent His Son to die for the dirt of this earth. He, we we couldn't even understand. We'll spend our lifetime understanding. We'll spend heaven understanding. And then the Bible says the breath. Nobody knows the, the breath. Nobody knows the height, the depth, nor the breath for the love God has given to us. John says He is our Father. We are His children and He has lavished His love on us. Now does that verse mean a little bit more to you now that you've got some understanding? That's what Jesus is wanting you to know. He's lavished His love on you. He's poured it on you. There is nothing good in heaven that He has not already given you. There's nothing more He can do for you. He has done everything for the human race. All that can be done has been done for you and I. He has lavished His love on us. Now you're ready for verse 4. Amen. Up and down. Everyone who sins breaks the law. See, I told you John didn't play because he loved Jesus. Amen. Now look, at, he says, everyone who sins breaks the law. See, he can't talk about one without the other. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he may take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in sin, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Come on, you see how tight but right it gets right there? See, he ain't playing. He's saying, man, God loves you. He pours out his spirit upon you. He lavishes you with his love. He sent his son to die for you. You have the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, God loving you. You have everything that you need. You you are going to be blessed in heaven. You'll be in heaven, things you can't even imagine right now. And here he begins to teach us. This is what it means to, to the person hearing all this. This is what it means to us is you don't sin anymore. That's your part. That's what you do. You see, because this little clay can do what it wants. Certainly, you're limited in some ways. You can't fly like a bird to the moon, you know. But you can do what you want in your heart. You can be the type of person you want to be. And who you are right now is 100% a result of your choice. Sometimes people say, well, I've been abused and I've been hurt and people have made me this way. Well, once you come to an understanding of how you can change, it's all up to you now. You can change. Just because mommy and daddy weren't nice people doesn't mean you have to be mean. Just because it was done this way in your family, your culture, your home, your society, etc., it stops the moment you have enough common sense to say two plus two is four. You know, Once you know how to read and write, it's up to you now. And so I'm looking at a bunch of people who can read and write, most of them above the age of 12, 13. You know what life's about. Every single one of you then, this applies to. You are exactly who you've chosen to be. Now the question is, are you sinning in your life? Are you using this love, this great love of our Father so you can keep sinning? Or are you using the great love and the great care of our Father to live a holy life for Him? You see, grace is not just forgiveness of sin when you do wrong. Grace is the ability to keep doing right. See, people like to say, oh, the grace of God forgives me. The grace of God forgives me. Yeah, but the grace of God can change you. The grace of God can transform you. The grace of God can take a drug addict and make him a pastor. The grace of God can make somebody unholy, holy. The, the grace of God can take a teenager rebellious and make him a youth leader. A happy home is based upon the love of God and keeping his commands. God can take a marriage that's tore up and bring it to a happy family. It's all based on what we do according to his word. And he says, when we break the law, we're lawless. That's why he gives the illustration, uh, uh, rather Paul gives it in Galatians, that if you break one law, you break them all. And the way you can look at it, it, pretend the Ten Commandments or the commandments of God are like a chain that a tow truck is pulling a car with. Let's say you have 20 links. Let's say, you know, you read the whole New Testament and the laws that apply to the Christian. Let's say there's 75 laws that you're supposed to do, 75 commands. Pray, read your Bible, go to church, give your tithes, you know, be holy, uh, don't be sexually immoral, all of that. Let's say it's 75 links in a chain. If a tow truck is pulling a car with 75 links, if one of those links break, the, tar, the, the, tar, the, hoo, the car is not being towed. You all with me? The point is, you break one of the commandments, it's over. That's why we're to hate sin. It's not like we prefer one sin or over another. No, we hate it all. And if we should sin, we've already learned that we ask for forgiveness and we get away from it. There is nothing in hell for you. What in hell do you want? Hello? What in hell do you want? I mean, is there anything there that you really want? Do you really want the perversion of hell? Do you really want the anger of hell? Do you want it? No, I don't want it. The Bible says, and don't have anything to do with that. Look at verse 7. Dear children, if you're with me, say, I'm with you. Come on. Verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. I've just got to pause right there and just say this so clearly almost with tears coming down my eyes, and I wish I could. If I could fake it to make it, I would right now. little tear. People right now are trying to lead you astray and trying to convince you that what I'm telling you is not right. I can give you a hundred examples. I'll try to give you just a few. One example can be of a disgruntled member that leaves our church and says, I don't have to take the discipline of Metro Praise I'll just hop to another church and they try to tell you that what Metro Praise is giving you as instructions really is not what you should follow I'm telling you they're lying to you they're leading you astray there has always been structure in the church there's always been discipline I'm not saying like you can't leave and go to another church God bless you but I'm talking about people who have left this church when they're being dealt with in discipline and sin and then the problems they cause. That's one way. Another way is you will meet people in your life, whether it's your coworker, your cousin. And you'll be talking to somebody about Jesus. And you know what will happen is, is they'll say to you, well, I live like this. And they'll tell you that they live a Christian life that's different than your Christian life. They'll say, hey, you know, I go to the bars on Sunday or Saturday, whatever. And you'll be like, really? I mean, my pastor said that, you know, the Bible teaches that's wrong. No, no, I mean, no, it's, it's actually kind of fun. I mean, I don't really get drunk, I just hang out. And people will try to lead you astray. There's, and the third example would be from pastors, from leaders. There's churches and organizations that make their living off of you sinning and, uh, and confession. How many know what I'm talking about? That guy sits in that confessional booth because you're going to come and tell him his whole job is to be there for you to confess sins. And they're never expecting you in that place to really stop sinning. All they're doing is just getting you in the rat race. You sin, I forgive you, I have a job, you have a job. You're the sinner, I'm the priest. Or better yet, in Protestantism, they're the book reader, uh, the book writers. You're the book reader. They keep trying to bribe you with their books and their televangelism and their different ministries, and it's not transforming your life. Look at what it says, dear children: Do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Oh, come on. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. If you believe it, say amen. That's the Bible. That's the same Bible that just said God loves you and lavishes his love on you because John knew the moment people heard that, they were all going to say, Hey, we're the children of God. Everything's fine. Everything's okay. I can live however I want. And then nope, right down just a few verses down, he says there's two people on this planet, not just children of God, but there's also children of the devil. It's just, it's just before you thought, well, everybody's a child of God. No, 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 no. It didn't say everybody was a child of God. It said that everybody had a father. They had the potential of having a father, that he would be a father to all of them. And the prodigal son, when the son was gone and came back, the father says this, My son, which was now dead, is alive. Because when that son left his father's home and spent all of his inheritance, he was no longer in any covenant with his father. This idea that you can be once saved, always saved is a lie. This idea that you can just call on the name of Jesus and get salvation like it's a flu shot. Hey, have you been saved? Yeah, I got mine right here. You know, like 20 years later. Hey, are you saved? Yeah, I got mine back 20 years ago. No, salvation is a relationship every day with Jesus. And if you're not living like Jesus today, I don't care how many times you spoke in tongues yesterday, how many times you went to church, all of those different things, you are a child of the devil. Now that's the truth, man, and I gotta teach you the truth because John said people are trying to lead you astray. Now at the same time, we don't have to be afraid like, have I lost my salvation? I, I, I sinned, I lusted today, is my salvation gone? I gotta check, is it still there? No. There's a balance. The balance is when I sin, I can be forgiven, but I better not keep on sinning. I better not keep that habit. I better not let the habit of lust get in my life. I better not let the habit of anger and rage and drunkenness. If I were to sin, God forgive me. I never want to do it again, but I should not let that habit come. Because if I do, if I keep on sinning, then I'm a child of God. Is it tight? But it's right. Come on. If you're there, say amen. Come on. You can say, oh my, oh me, but just say amen. Amen. I mean, it's right, isn't it? I mean, it's right there. I remember I was talking to a woman yesterday who was a Unitarian and she was saying it's wrong to judge people. And I'm sure many of you have heard that same thing. Oh, don't judge me. It's wrong to judge me, etc. You know, don't, don't tell me I'm not going to heaven. Right here, John told you to do it. He said, this is how we know who the children of God are. You better know who a child of God is, people. Hello? All my single people. You better know who a child of God is before you marry them. Come on, let me get an amen for that. I mean, you better know who you're marrying. Amen. You better know you're going to spend the rest of your life with. You know, and those of you making friends in the world and going out on your job and doing things, you better be careful about how you make friends with people. You better know how much you should share with people who are not Christians because they can turn their back on you, use you, and abuse you. Come on, you better learn to know who to trust, and that's the children of God. And if they don't act right, you know, then we correct and rebuke. But I'm telling you, children of God are going to be the best people to marry, the best mothers and fathers. They're going to be the best friends, the best co-workers, the best leaders and mentors, the best children's workers and helpers, the best construction workers, the best policemen. You better know who they are and get around them. This idea that we're not supposed to judge people is so retarded. I mean, don't even make any sense. The woman who said that to me, I said, well, do you get judged on your job according to what you do and how you get paid? Oh, yeah, but that's my job. I said, well, this is our job to make sure people get to heaven. I mean, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just trying to help you get to heaven. I'm sorry if you wanted to go to hell and you didn't want to get a little checkup today, but i got to give you the checkup from the neck up. Come on, I want you to get to heaven. People get mad at us like we're trying to do something bad. I could see if I was trying to send them to hell, but I'm just trying to get them to heaven. You know what? If people get mad at you and and they act all crazy, don't let them turn you, uh, don't let them uh, bring you down and and turn uh, your love away. Keep giving them your love. Because we gotta love the unlovable. We gotta touch the untouchable. We gotta go after them because we're trying to get them to heaven. Amen? And sometimes if you've got to tell somebody how it T-I is, how it is, it's better to be that type of a friend than a liar. The Bible says the wounds of a friend are better than the lies of an enemy. You could have an enemy by you. Oh, I like you. I love you. You're nice. And he can hurt you and use you and abuse you. It's better to have a friend that might offend you, get up in your face, tell you something you maybe don't want to hear because you know that that person cares about you. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being disrespectful and nosy and gossiping and slander. That's a whole nother issue. But I'm talking about people who really care about you and want to get you to heaven. If you believe it, can you say amen? That's what it's about. Come on. You made it through. You made it through. It's got a couple more verses to go, and it's going to get up and down again. So let's go back to verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. Now, if you remember, as we just learned this, this is a message you've heard from the beginning. When we heard in verse uh Of Chapter one that he said there was an old command and a new command and I told you that when the new command was to love your brother That it was actually him using as a remembrance here You have the proof of it because he says this is the message you heard from the beginning We should love one another Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. You hear you're talking or learning that we must love one another, but right in the midst of that, it's told that we're not always going to be loved. Think about this. We're loving the community, teaching them about Jesus, but they sometimes hate us, don't they? Why do they hate us? Because we're doing what's right. I was watching some of the YouTube videos, and I was seeing how the gay community reacted in California when they weren't allowed to have their right to marry. You know, they try to promote themselves like they're just families. And, you know, Ad, you know, Adam and Steve, they're hanging out with their little kid. And it's like, we're just like you, you know, but t- two dads, you know. And they write these little children's books, you know, the two princes, you know. And, and they try to appear like they're so lovey-dovey. Next time they have that vote, they need to play the videos that happened after they didn't get their way. They had riots in front of churches. They vandalized the churches. You know why they hate us? Because we keep saying it's wrong. It's wrong to be gay. It's wrong. I don't care how many times you vote for it. I don't care what entertainer like Jack Black. Shame on all of these entertainers. Take their side. I don't care how many people agree with it. We will still stand up until the day Jesus Christ comes and say sin is sin and righteousness is righteousness. And if you don't know the difference, we're going to help you in Jesus' name. There's children of God, and there's children of the devil. And I've used the example a hundred times, but it bears repeating. If you're in a dark room, there's no light. Somebody flips on the light. It's the natural reaction to get away from the light. And this world is getting darker and darker and darker. And the brighter and brighter we get, the more angry they're going to get and not want to be around us. But it's our job to love them. We are commanded to love them. I remember talking to one of my friends who was an evangelist just like us. Some of you might remember him, Pastor Troy Bond of the Raven Ministries. He says he was in a train, uh, or rather a, uh, a ferry going across the river of New Orleans. He was preaching to a young man. The guy probably was homeless. He said he didn't look like he had much to him. You know, looked like he had a backpack, was traveling around. Told him about Jesus. The young man took a hawk, hawk spit right in Troy's face. I said, man, did you feel like slapping that dude? I mean, what were you thinking? He said, he said it was the most beautiful thing. He said, when that person did that, God instantly gave me a picture of my child when, when she was a baby, and she would spit up on me. And I would love her, even though she spit up on me because she didn't know what she was doing. He said, God taught me through that young man spitting in my face that sinners don't even know what they're doing. Does that sound like Jesus to you? I think Jesus said something like that, right? Remember, he's getting crucified on the cross for the sins of humanity. And instead of saying, Father, now damn them all to hell and bring this thing down. What does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the life of a Christian. That's how you know you're saved is if you can love your enemies. I mean, I talk to people all the time, you know, and they think they're good people. And then we take them to the good person test. And we ask them, have you ever told a lie? You know, if you have, you're a liar and a thief. And you know, one of the things I love to tell them is I say, beyond all the big stuff, you know, lying and stealing and cheating. I said, you know, one of the biggest evidences that Christ was in my life is that I could love my enemies. Because you may find a Hindu in Tibet that can walk on rice paper and find peace and tranquility, but I want to know, can he love his enemies? I think that's a special work of the Holy Spirit. I think that that's one of the things. Here it says right here, you know you're a child of God. If you love your brother, you even love those who hate you. That's a work of God. That's how you know you're saved, young people, is when you can go to the lunch table of the kids who used to make fun of you and say, I want to invite you to youth group today, because you love them no matter how they treat you. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's look to verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Oh, praise God. Here's a beautiful passage. Here's another, you know, like chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 was awesome. And then here's the next awesome passage that's going to make you go, oh. You remember, think of it this way. John 3, 16, right, says Jesus died for us. Look at this. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Oh, isn't that awesome? Just think about that. John 3.16 talks about the cross of Jesus for salvation for others. 1 John 3.16 now talks about you bearing your cross and giving your life for others. Isn't that awesome? Jesus said, anyone who wants to follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Why do you take up that cross? Because people will crucify you on it. And you have to die to the feelings of anger and hurt. And you also have to let your sins, your pain, all the things of your life be on the cross of Jesus at all times. Here's how you know what love is. You lay down your life. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God abide in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Two awesome concepts right here. Number one is we learn how now we ought to give. It's not just a give love. It's not just with our words, but it's with our deeds. Scriptures like this led me to New Orleans. I would like to have Sister Carolyn, can you just stand up for us, please? This is a mama from the Church of New Orleans. Would you just bless her Metro praise? God bless you. Thank you for coming with your daughter. I had no business being in the Calyo Projects except for Christ. Am I right? Come on, if you would have saw a white boy walking in there, you'd be saying, he's either the drug dealer or the police, right? Or, or getting drugs or the, or the police. That's a mother right there from the Calio Projects. Her son, Joe Miles, Joe from the Calio, had the honor of doing his wedding in, uh, what was that, Virginia? Way up in Virginia. You know how I met Joe from the Calio? Because God told me to leave Fort Wayne, Indiana and go to the projects of New Orleans. I could stand up all day in Fort Wayne, Indiana and say, I love people. I love people. But was I willing to give my life for people? That's the proof right there. Thank you for coming today. Give our lives for people. Who are you giving your life for? Look at it again. See, it gets quiet when I start talking like this, huh? Oh, come on, it's tight, but it's right. Anyone who has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him has no love of God. How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and truth. I want to challenge every single person in in this church to give your life away. To give your life away to serve others. To find people that you can spend your life with. Joe had hardly anybody he could look up to. Am I telling the truth, sister? Amen. And Joe today is a grown male. he about 26. 23 years old. Has a beautiful wife and a child on the way. Amen. And you know how I met Joe? I met Joe being in the projects of New Orleans. I came to Joe and I said, whatever I have, I'm going to give you. I gave him a computer. I helped him in every way I could. Not that I was better than Joe. Not that his mother didn't love him. It was that God wanted us to help him. Now, God wants you to help others. I am where I am today because Brother Anthony helped me. And he gave his life and things to me. Who are you giving your life away to? Who are you discipling right now? Who are you taking into your home like Ish and Robin are doing the bridge? Who are you saying, hey, come on over and hang out. Let's let's spend time together. It's on me. Here's a meal. Young people, you have the greatest opportunity in your high schools to go up to other lunch tables to the people that get picked on, to the girls that aren't so pretty, to the ones that are considered nerds, and you can love on them and give them friendship. Jesus says, that's how you know, or John says, that's how you know a child of God. Right there, bam. They give their life away. They give their material possessions away. They do it for others. They love people. Amen. I thank God for the stories that I have from New Orleans. But that didn't just stop in New Orleans. It's happening right now. That's what brought us to the Ohio Park. That's what stand, us out, stand out here in the front here. That's what now drives our ministers to do all that they're doing. And I want everybody to do it. If you want to give your life away, say amen. Amen. And the second thing that we learn in that passage, and here's a beautiful thing, and many people don't catch it in the in the passage, is that at times your heart will condemn you and you won't feel like you're saved. Sometimes in life, you don't always feel like you're, you're saved. Sometimes you don't always feel the emotions of Christianity. But the unique thing is, is that John says, do you know what gives you confidence in those days when you're saying, I don't really feel it, is the love you're giving away to other people. I want you to think about that. I'm going to tell you a story, and I want you to think about what that means. When I was pastoring at another church, and I resigned, and I was going through my hardships, do you know what? I didn't feel like I was a Christian. I didn't have the feelings of happiness. I didn't have the feelings. matter of fact, I was feeling sad. I was feeling depressed. I was like, man, you know, people over there were backbiting me and things were falling apart. I didn't feel good. I mean, when you talk about feelings, I didn't feel it. But I remember the Lord telling me, before we even started our church, the Lord said, go out to Belmont and Clark and find a homeless person and start buying them food. Just give it away. And I remember one day I was out there, and there was these homeless teenagers, about eight of them. And they said they were hungry. And I said, dude, I'm going to take you guys all out for pizza. And I took them all out for pizza. And I remember that day feeling so much love of God, so much confidence. Do you know why? It's because I was loving other people. When I didn't feel like I was right, when I didn't feel the goosebumps of Christianity, and I gave my life away, that brought back the confidence, the feeling of love again. There's a, there's, a, there's a part of this that people never understand. When I talk to people and they're feeling discouraged in Christianity and they're not feeling it and they said it's getting boring, worship services are too long, this and that, I can always trace back to what are they doing for others. Because if you stay serving people, if you stay evangelizing, if you stay opening up your home, if you stay loving people, on the days when you're not feeling it, you'll feel it through the love you give others and God will then bless you and say, that's how I'm going to do it. That's a deep thaw. I hope somebody got it there. Amen? Verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So it's awesome to obviously not feel condemned because you should know that you're saved. And we receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what please him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he has commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Would you stand up with me please? There's no way I'm going through chapter 4 today. Oh, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all people below, creatures. Are you giving your life away? Are you a child of God or a child of the devil? If you're confused, ask somebody around you today after service who am I? Husbands, ask your wives. Wives, ask your husbands. Youth, ask your youth pastor. You should know who you are and live giving your life away. The last part of this chapter is such a beautiful verse. Uh, Rachel, would you come, please? It says that when we're in this relationship, we have confidence that whatever we ask from the Lord, he gives to us. You see, there's this catch-22 in prayer a lot of people don't understand. I'll meet people on the streets and they'll say, hey, I used to be a Christian, but then some tragedy happened in my life and God wasn't there and now I just don't really believe in him. The answer to prayer is connected to the will of God. Do you know that it's his will that people go home to be with him? That life doesn't live forever. God has an appointed time for every man to die. So number one, people were praying for something that that God was not going to do according to his will especially like if they lose somebody, tragedy, you understand? Or another thing, somebody will have just pain or or problems in their life, and they'll say, I'm praying, but I'm not getting any answers. And I want to make sure I say this the right way, because I'm not saying that every person doesn't get answers because they're not living right, but I really want you to get the lesson here. A lot of times people may be in pain, they may be hurting, but they're still not keeping God's commands, and they're not going to get the answer. I mean that's hard to tell somebody. I know. I mean you talk to a kid that's had a bum life. You know maybe his dad was an alcoholic and he says, "Man, I hate God. I cried. I, you know I cried out to him when my dad was beating my mom, but he didn't come to me." But listen, the catch twenty two with prayer isn't it's not a wish list. It's a benefit of children, and children do the will of their father. And so that's why when I talk to people like that who are struggling, who are saying, man, I really need some answers to prayer, what's the secret? The secret to having answers to prayers being a child of God, pleasing your Father. I'm not saying every one of my prayers gets answered. I think the ones that don't probably have to do with His will. It's not according to His will. But I can say this, that I have sure seen a lot of prayers answered. I've seen prayers answered. And it's the confidence the Bible says that you and I can have because we're His children. I mean, there's been days that have been hard. I mean, it's hard being a Christian. It's hard living life. There's times when people will treat you bad. There's times when you don't have money. There's times when, you know, you you don't feel good. Well, the confidence that you and I get to have according to the Scripture, it says we have confidence before God. We receive anything we ask because we obey His commands and we do what pleases Him. I remember on those days that I was hurting the most, calling out to God and receiving answers. And it was because I was a faithful servant. I was a faithful child. I remember my friend Justin just two weeks ago. He lost his father. Had to come up to Illinois to bury him. And I was on the phone comforting him. And I went to the funeral. But when I was on the phone, I shared with him what I learned, you know, from this scripture right here. I said, brother, listen, man. When I lost my sister... I didn't have time to pray and repent and get my life right. I just fell on my knees and I needed his help then, right now, you know. See, that's the problem. Sometimes people wait for tragedy to get their life right. And what they have to do is get all the, b- the bad stuff out and then they got to start asking for help. I said to him, I said, man, the day it all fell apart for me, all I had to do was ask for help and he gave it to me. I said, Justin, the benefit of your relationship with God is you're going to make withdrawals right now for everything you put in there. See, some of y'all don't get that. See, some of y'all don't understand, every time you're praying, you're making deposits in heaven. Every time on a good day, you just got paid, you know, you set down your paycheck, and you make a time to be with God for an hour, you're making deposits into heaven. You're making deposits up into God's kingdom. So when those days come that you need something and the paycheck's not there, all you got to do is ask, Lord, I need you. Bam, it's right there. Because you've been making deposits. You've been getting close to God. Hello? I mean, we're not talking about that friend that just calls you up when they need something. I mean, how much do you appreciate that person? It's the same way with heaven. God's not into the one that just comes on the the day of tragedy, even though He still is gracious. If they cry out, they'll be forgiven. But God's looking for people that have a relationship with Him so that when they're in need, He can bless them and get it to them quickly. Bam, you got it. Do you have that type of relationship with God where you and Him are this close? Come on. Are you and him this close? Because that's what he wants. I remember there was a story one time of a, of a man praying for his best friend. And he would go into his tool shed. And he would be in his tool shed and he would be working. And then he would take time to intercede. You know, that would be his private time. He would kind of do a little hobby of his tool, whatever he was making. Then he would pray. And he kept praying for his best friend. God save my best friend. God saved my best friend. And he never saw him get saved, but he was confident that God was going to answer his prayer because he was a child of God, he loved God, and he knew if he kept asking God, God was going to do it. And one day, the friend called up and said, hey, can I borrow some of your tools? And he said, sure, just go in the tool shed and go get them. When he went in there, that friend went in there, God struck his heart and he just began to weep and to cry. He gave his heart to Jesus, and he called up his friend. He said, I gave my heart to God in your tool shed. It was the most craziest thing. I don't understand why I did it right there, but it just hit me all of a sudden. And he said, I've been praying for you in that tool shed. That's an example of setting up places of blessing in your life. You've got to keep praying over your job. Don't give up. Keep praying over your job. Set up a place of blessing there. You gotta keep praying over your high school. You gotta set up a place of blessing there. Don't give up. If you are confident and you know that God hears you, you will receive it. Have faith. Come on, don't give up. I set up a place of blessing here before many of you even came to this church. We set up a place of blessing in Metro Praise where we kept praying chairs would be filled. Chairs will be filled. Chairs, we don't even have chairs, but we'll buy chairs and then those chairs will be filled. Look at the chairs filled. Yeah, would I like to see 500 more chairs filled? Sure, but I still have confidence that he hears me for those prayers. You have a need today. You've all come here today with needs, every single one of us. I want you now to ask him for help in those areas. Can we pray now? Father God, we are your children. You are our Father. We lift up our needs to you right now. Come on, whatever you need, give it to Him. Lord, save my sister Lisa. Save my brother Mitch. I need that. I want to see them saved. God, I need you to clear debt. Lord, I need you to build a church. Five hundred and counting. If you need salvation, just come to your knees at this altar today and ask God to forgive you and to make you His child. If you've been sinning and you know right now if you've been having, having the habit of sin and you need to have your life changed, you need it right now, I invite you to the front. Come on, just kneel here and say, Lord, I receive a new life. I want to be that child you called me to be.